and welcome along to the Property Academy podcast by Opus Partners. I'm your host, Stephen Knight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. And today on the show, we're talking about the seven things your family will say about property investors at the summer barbecue. Now, this comes from a long-term listener of the show, Jason Stewart, who's been with us since episode one. And he said, with barbecue season near, what advice will Uncle Lester be dishing out to unsuspecting family members at the barbecue? Now, just remind us, who is Uncle Lester? Uncle Lester is whoever that guy or girl is that when you go along to your barbecue, they've got a negative opinion about property investors. And it's funny because I didn't quite realise how polarising this election was going to be when it comes to property investors. Now that there's been a change, I actually went into some of my message requests on Instagram the other day. Quite a few from people I'd been to school with or that I knew from ages ago. What are they saying? Well, one, one said, do you want me to read you one? Read it to us. Read us what Uncle Lester's saying. A girl that I went to school with, really nice girl, said yikes about something I posted about, I think it was interest deductibility. Well, you um, do post quite controversial things. I do not. I hope this will trickle down to those in need. Yeah, actually, I think there was about rents going up. And I said, unfortunately, once rents go up, they don't really come down. This is the unintended consequence of poor policies. And she put, yes, but I'm sure you'll agree that no capital gains tax was a mistake. <laughs> well, I'm uh, not sure if we would. But this is a really good example of what Uncle Lester is. So it's just this person who seems to know it all and will be quite aggressive when they're talking either about property. And sometimes they will sway our decisions as property investors. Now, the first thing that I reckon Uncle Lester will be talking about is interest deductibility. Now, I had a really interesting discussion with a journalist last Thursday. So they'd picked up some of our modelling that we'd put out through private property, which is Andrew's weekly newsletter. goes out on Thursday. And in that newsletter, we talked about how some property investors could save $100,000 in tax over the next 15 years now that we have got a national government. And that journalist said to me, well, shouldn't that extra $100,000 be going to hospitals to fund medical treatments? Wouldn't that be a better use of that money? And I think the first thing you've got to remember is that that tax money has not been fully collected. So if we think about the fact that Labor had put in this interest deductibility policy, but it hadn't been fully phased in. So most property investors will not be paying that tax. So it's not like we're saying, interest deductibility is not like we've been saying, hey, we've been collecting all of this money for years, now we're not going to get it and we're going to have to find the money from somewhere else, or we've been collecting all of this money for all of these years, now we're going to have to cut services in order to be able to give these landlords a tax cut. That money had not been collected. So what I said to this journalist is you can't really think of interest deductibility as a tax cut. It's more of a decision not to take money that had never been really collected anyway. And I think the second thing you've got to remember with interest deductibility when people are talking about it a bit like how I think Andrew's friend there had been is interest deductibility was bad policy to begin with. You've got to remember at the time it was introduced, both Treasury and the IRD argued against it. They said it was a bad idea, that it was going to push rents up, and it has. So effectively with interest deductibility, by rolling it back, it's basically saying this policy has not been fully implemented. We think it's a bad policy, so we're not going to implement this bad policy. And if you put it in those terms, it does seem like the right thing to do. And I like giving you guys some of these kind of sound bites because I know it becomes a little bit easier to argue if somebody's having a bit of a go at you at the local family barbecue. What's number two that Uncle Les is going to be talking about? Number two is that house prices are going to fall probably another 20%, and then keep falling. And actually, I chose that 20% because I got this exact message the other day when Ed and I were on tour in Taranaki. Someone messaged me, I think either on Instagram or LinkedIn, and he said, you know, I love all your content and all of this, but 
house prices are still going to drop by another 20%. And look, I can understand how people get this idea in their mind that the, you know, the sky is falling, but we're not seeing that in the data. House prices have increased every month since May. And in Tony Alexander's surveys, we can see increasing demand. We can see the number of annual house sales increasing. The Reserve Bank's numbers now show that property prices are at a sustainable level, which was their goal. The odds are that the market downturn is over. We are through the thick of it, and it's unlikely that you're going to see any further drops. Or at least another massive drop. And certainly we will still see some falls in some specific areas. So sometimes when you're arguing with people, you might say, well, you, you might be right based on what you're seeing in your specific area. It was interesting, when we were at the Taranaki Property Investors Association, we kind of love to take a bit of a straw poll. Who thinks property prices are going to go up another 5%? Who thinks they're going to be up 2%? Who thinks they're going to be down? And you get a range of different answers. And what I said to them is, well, you may all be right in your specific area because you might own a property in one part of your region and prices in that area might be going up. Another person might own a house in a different part of the region and property prices there might be softening. So Uncle Lester may actually be right in his specific area or in her specific area. Property prices might continue going down, but it doesn't look like that's going to be the case for the whole country once you average it out. I think the third thing Uncle Lester often says is that property investors don't add anything to society. <laughs> but actually, if you think about new builds, any property investor buying a new build is adding to the housing stock. They're adding demand to developers at a time where you know some developers are struggling. So any investor buying a new build is not taking away from an owner-occupier. They are adding to the housing stock and through that process are actually helping to soften rents and soften property prices compared to what they otherwise would be. And even if you think about renovators, they improve houses. They, they go in, do them up, make them higher quality than many DIYers or first-time renovators would or could. And so they are improving the quality of our old housing stock. And, you know, you see images online and in the media of, you know, run-down houses. You know, the good quality property investors are getting in and doing them up so they are making them warm, dry, healthy homes to live in. I also think you've got to say something for flippers. They do exactly the same. They improve the quality of the housing stock and then often sell it to an owner-occupier. And we know that owner-occupiers are less inclined to do substantial renovations. Maybe they can't fork out the money. Maybe they don't have the experience to do it. And so I think flippers, renovators, people investing in new builds, you're all adding something to their housing stock, improving the quality. And I think that's really important to recognise that property investors actually play a really important role in providing housing here in New Zealand. What's number four, Andrew? Number four is a rental property sold to a first-home buyer means one more homeowner and one less renter. Now, this is the same thing as if we didn't have landlords, everyone would own their own home. And that can be true. If a family rents a property and then they buy that property off their landlord, yep, you've got one more homeowner, one less landlord. But it's not always that clear cut. So I'll give you another example. Let's say the couple lives with one of their parents who own their own home. Now they decide, right, we're going to save up, we're going to buy a three-bedroom house, and they find something that was an investment property, now it's going to be their owner-occupied. So yes, when they buy it, that's one less rental property on the market, one more owner-occupied property. Here's the flip side. Now you've got a tenant that was living in that property, they're displaced, and there's one less rental property in the market for them to go and rent. So now you multiply this by thousands of times, all of a sudden now rents get pushed up. So it isn't quite as simple as if you get rid of landlords, everyone can own their own house. And you've got to remember, there's lots of reasons that people want to rent. It might not be that they want to be buying a property in Auckland 
because they're on a sabbatical there for a work opportunity. Yeah, there are lots of other things I'll come to in a minute, but I think what that kind of one in, one out, you know, one rental property turned into an owner-occupier is one less household renting. What that ignores is new household formation. And I'll give you another example. When I was young, I lived in a five-bedroom house and we all rented. We were all young. We weren't at that stage of life where we were ready to make that long-term financial commitment because we didn't have enough income to do it. But also, when you're 22, you don't really feel like buying something you're going to live in for 10 years or so. Now, because we were all individuals, if our landlord sold that house, there was no way that all of us would collectively go in and buy that. For that one-in-one-out logic to be true, all of us five would have to band together and buy that property. But that's not really what happens. You see, when you go out and you want to decide you want to stop flatting and you actually want to start owning your own home, all five of us would go out on our own and buy five houses. So in order to provide owner-occupier properties for that household of flatters, you would actually need to have five different owner-occupied properties or five different dwellings. And so, again, it's all about new household formation. In Andrew's example, you've got a young couple who were living with their parents. They go out, buy an owner-occupier property. That's great for them, but it's bad for the tenants that have to move out and now face a more competitive rental landscape. And so it's always a little bit more complicated. Now, we'd always say, yeah, that's probably a good thing if you've got some renters who can afford to buy the property they're living in off their landlord. Yep, that probably is a good thing but it's often a little bit more complicated. It doesn't always work out that simply. And Andrew, there's number five. What else is Uncle Investor going to say? Uncle Investor or Uncle Lester? Uncle Lester. He always has an opinion on what property investors should do. So he'll say something like, you you should be investing in this kind of property or this kind of area. Or the stock market. (laughs) You should go and bet. They should put their money in more productive things like businesses and the stock market. And I'll give you an example. We want property investors in New Zealand to build new houses. That's why there's incentives from the government to do that. And that'd suit me just fine because that's what we here at Opus Partners recommend as well. But... You've got to remember, it's the property investor's money, and they can do whatever the hell they want with it. It's their cash to do that. And Uncle Lester's strategy is not necessarily your strategy. And I think sometimes people say, oh, investors should put their money into more productive investments, shares, and all of that thing. But you've also got to think about that people are allowed to do what they want with their time and their money. So if you wanted New Zealand to be the most productive country in the world, and often we talk about that, hey, New Zealand is is actually not a very highly productive economy, then we would all work 80 hours a week. We'd all become computer programmers and we'd start (laughs) creating video games. We'd all be actuaries, we'd work in finance, we'd export insurance. We'd be in really high margin, high value, highly skilled industries. But we don't force people to become doctors. We don't force people to become lawyers. We don't force people to have to take up highly paid, highly stressful, highly skilled professions because we let people do what they want with their time. We let people work the jobs that they want. We let people use the money in the way that they want to do because we believe that people know what's best for themselves. And actually, I think you've got to apply the same to property investors. You may well think that everybody should buy a new build property. And, you know, yes, that would suit us well here at Opus Partners. But people can do what they want with their money. And I think sometimes that's what Uncle Lester forgets. Now, if Uncle Lester wants to build more new builds or wants to invest in shares, then he should lead the way with his own money. Now, what's number six? Oh, I've got it on my soapbox now. Let me just get off my high horse, Andrew. What's number six? I saw you were on a horse at the weekend. Yeah. I tell, I got that sword, but sword it between really your hurts. legs. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It hurts the old boys. 
Number six is National Act New Zealand First will do X, Y, Z. Now, I'll give you an example. It'll be something like, oh, no, they're not going to repeal the interest deductibility. They need the tax or they're not going to phase it back in or they're not going to change the bright line test. Whatever cooked up policy that Uncle Lester's figured out in his head and the only possible response here is, we don't know. Yeah, or how do you know? How do you know? That's what I always say to people. So, you know, oh, National aren't going to do that. This is the issue with Uncle Lester. He always says things emphatically as if he absolutely knows, no, National and Act will not repeal interest deductibility. Well, how do you know? Well, that's just what I think. Exactly. There's no basis for it. It's an opinion kind of coming out of thin air. It's a bit more of a gut feeling. And I think that's sometimes the issue we as property investors come up against, right? We're about to make a multi-hundred-thousand-dollar decision. We're going to invest half a million dollars, and so we listen to everybody. It's a bit like when you buy a new car, right? And then you suddenly see that car absolutely everywhere. That happens to be all of the time. What, you're buying new cars all the time? No, but when you buy a new car, you suddenly see it everywhere. And it's a bit like that when we're thinking about buying property. So when people say things strongly, when we hear them say it emphatically, we just believe that it's true sometimes without interrogating, well, how do you actually know? And number seven, and I really care about this one, when people say, I'll never own my own home, or that young people will never be able to own their own homes. And that is just untrue right now. So CoreLogic recently released their new buyer classification data, which showed that 28% of property sales in the last quarter were to first home buyers. Almost a third. That is the highest it has ever been. For the first time, first home buyers are making up a larger percentage of the market than any other buyer group. And it is amazing. If you go back, rewind the clock, (laughs) 10 years or so, when they started releasing that data, First home buyers were making up about 22% of the market. So even when property prices were much, much lower, we saw fewer first home buyers as a percentage of the market. So the overall numbers might be down a little bit because there aren't that many house sales right now. But as a group, first home buyers are out there and they are doing better than they ever have been and good on them. And I'll tell you a little story as well. It can be really easy to be depressed about the property market. I remember when I was 22, I was running the Auckland Young Professionals. I was the president of that. And someone rings me up and says, Ed, can you come be on video to talk about owning your own home and you know what young professionals think about that? And I remember standing there in the park with the camera in my face and I said, well, you know, I think most young people, they think they'll never own their own home. And I just think, you know, how wrong was I? How wrong was I when, you know, four years later or a couple of years later, you know, buy my first home, then you start investing and uh, turn it into an investment property, then you buy some more investment properties, you know, and less than 10 years later, you think, oh gosh, I used to think I wouldn't own my own home. Or, I mean, technically I don't live in a house that, that I own, but I own a couple of rental properties. And just how quickly things can change. So it's very easy when you are young and starting out to think, no, nah, I'm never going to be able to own my own home. But you start your career you grow, you get some better jobs, you, you see the opportunities and then you take them. And a lot of people can buy their own home and more than 65% of people in New Zealand do their own their own home. And what we do see is, as we see in that data, first home buyers make up a very large percentage of the market. So although it can be very easy to get despondent buying your first home, very, very possible. I just need to stop for a minute. Did you say you were wrong about something, Edward Christian? Oh, yeah, I was that one time, (laughs) nine years ago. 
And look, the truth of all of this is it's not always as simple as kind of Uncle Lester will make things out to be. And look, is it good that people own their own homes? Absolutely. But not everyone can afford to or want to. Like it might not be the right time for them in their life. Might not be in the right city. They might just not want to. They might want to rent like I did for a number of years. So look, let's face it. We need property investors. We need private landlords in this country. And you know, one simple solution is to build more houses. And I think there are some good benefits with buying new, whether you're an investor or an owner-occupier, but that's not going to suit everyone. Exactly. So there's got to be options out there. Right, let's wrap it up there. But please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. It really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, if you've got something you want us to talk about on the show, send us a message. We are at Opus underscore partners on Instagram. That is the best place to give us podcast topic ideas or just send us an email, editopuspartners.co.nz. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy Podcast. I'm your host, Steve McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. We're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics, and insights to help you get the most with the New Zealand property market. Until next time. <laughs>